0: This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. I'm Elliot Gotkin, and in this episode, how Ali Nicknam went all in with more than 100 million euros of his own money to create a neo bank called Bunk, and why he doesn't lose sleep over it. Whenever somebody uh, asks me about, you know, the financial
1: position, you know, uh, how do you feel about investing 125 million in a in a, in a in a company, and what if it fails, and what if this, and what if that? I always recite this anecdote. Uh, me having a phone call with a friend of mine who had just sold his business and i asked him like hey you know you're very wealthy now and uh, what's next and what do you do and you know how's it going and he said well you know ali i think it's really important to keep
0: in mind no matter how much money you have you can only eat one steak every evening ali niknam founder and ceo of bunk thanks so much for joining me on the fintech podcast
1: Thanks for having me, Elliot. It's absolutely lovely to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to see you again. Uh, So look, so Bunk is a bank, but what's the difference between a Bunk bank and a non-Bunk bank? That
1: is a great question. I think you will find many similarities in cars between, for example, Volkswagen and a Tesla. They're both still cars, but the experience and benefit to the user is completely different. Um, Bunk was founded on uh, the ashes, so to say, of the financial crisis, Um, founded on the belief that diversity in a broad sense of the word is what we needed in a financial system to keep things safe and to keep things user-centric. So when we founded Bunk back in 2012, which is quite a long time ago, um, we tried to do things differently from the way bankers would do it. Not because there's anything wrong with it, but because we felt that there should be the freedom of Choice so that people had something to choose with. So, one of the things that has always struck me is that when you go to a supermarket, um, especially here in the US, and you want something like ketchup, you'll get 50 different brands. It's different sizes, different prices, different tastes, different color, different packaging, different everything, right? But uh, at the time of the financial crisis, um, you know, if it wouldn't really matter whether you would go to ING or ABN AMRO or BNP Paribas or Credit Agricole. All the products were the same. The experience was the same. Um, and so that had made the entire market very dull and not very customer-centric. So when we came about, we took the tech approach. We started with what would make people happy what would empower them to do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want. And we started building
0: that. Okay, and I guess the other big difference with other so-called neobanks is that you've got a full banking license for the markets in which you operate. Many other, you know, neobanks that we uh, hear so much about, uh, you know, don't, often don't actually have a full banking license.
1: That's correct. So our ideology, our vision has always been to bring change upon the financial sector so that it would become more customer-centric. Because it is a huge foundation foundational pillar of society so to say um, and having a healthy and diverse financial sector means that its customers aka you and me get the freedom to pick whatever suits them best and enriches their lives so for in our case for us that meant that it was mandatory to have a banking license because otherwise we we would never be seen as equal to the big guys. Um, And also we wanted to prove that you could be fully regulated with all of the burdens, but also with all of the safety and the security that comes with it, and yet be different to the other guys. And I think we've proven just
0: that. Right, and I mean, you you mentioned the comparison between a Volkswagen and a Tesla. Um, I see on your website you also, as well as promising to help clients start saving money, uh, you offer to help them start saving CO two from day one. So I guess uh, there's a, there's another uh, similarity. Uh, how does having a bank account with Bunk help customers reduce carbon emissions?
1: That's a great question. So here too, you see that you know we look at our users' everyday lives, and we see at what. We have a look at what matters to them, and then we try to make that as easy as possible. And I think nobody can deny anymore that we're in a climate catastrophe and that it is man-made. But uh, rather than being pessimistic about it, I'm optimistic about it. Because if it's man-made, it can be man-unmade. So uh, we saw that a large part of our following was very concerned with where Uh, you know, the climate was heading and was trying to do whatever they could. And then there too, we applied the bunk magic in trying to make life easy as much as possible. We figured, hey, what if uh, we would plant a tree for every 100 euros you spend? And we ran the numbers and it turns out that if you would simply do your everyday groceries and all the other stuff that you buy anyway uh, with your bunk card, by planting a tree per 100 euros, we will offset your entire CO2 footprint in just two years. And I think when we first saw the results of the numbers, that was very magical to us. Because you have this giant problem that nobody really knows how to to solve. And just by changing your bank account to bunk, you can make a significant positive contribution.
0: How, How many trees have you planted so far?
1: I think we're nearing 3.5 million trees. That's if a lot not of trees. More. <laughs> let, let me check that in a bank app, actually. That's a great question.
0: Because That's, we plant uh,
1: so many these days. It's insane. Uh, it's
0: but, crazy. I mean, I, I assume this is perhaps instead of cashback that they might get from another neobank. So I'm just wondering if, if I'm banking with, uh, I don't know, say Revolut or something, and I uh, uh, use my cashback uh, to plant trees or offset my emissions, would, would that be exactly the same?
1: Um, I... I'm not sure about that because I think uh, the whole cashback mechanism uh, that exists, for example, in the U.S. but also the U.K., doesn't really exist in mainland Europe. And the reason for that is that in Europe we have regulated the interchange fees, um, rightly so, in my personal opinion. Because otherwise, I mean, uh, all of the entrepreneurs trying to sell their goods kind of get in a in a bad position. But so we have regulated it. So the interchange is loss-making in Europe, whereas it's profitable in, in, in the U.S. and partly the U.K. So I see what you mean as an outsider that might be you know, uh, perceived as the same. Um, uh, but in reality, it is actually more difficult to get it done in mainland Europe. And by the way, I just looked it up. You can see in the bunk app in our community tab, we have 4
0: million trees planted. So... Okay. So, so uh, lots big. of trees. Um, what about customers? What kind of traction are we talking for Bunk?
1: So one of the founding principles of Bunk has always been privacy and putting privacy of our users first. So um, other than disclosing the numbers that we legally are bound to disclose, such as total deposits, etc., etc., we never uh, hint on anything that uh, touches our user base. Um, So you can see that our growth is picking up. We're doubling in deposits every year, which is quite impressive. Um, But the number of users, that's the big secret.
0: (laughs) Well, whatever you're doing seems to be working. In July, you announced a $230 million fundraising at an air $2 billion valuation, uh, reportedly. Uh, And this was your first outside fundraising, I think, because unlike, I'm guessing, every other bank out there, you've actually been bootstrapping or self funding bunk up until this point plowing more than 100 million dollars of your own money into it is that right 100 million euros even so that's 125 million dollars yeah. that's uh, that's a lot of money that's a pretty huge bet on the success of this i mean i assume uh you know that you didn't kind of put everything that you have into it but i would imagine that 100 million euros is a sizable chunk of your wealth
1: well um i think i i did uh, I have put at times all, because my wealth fluctuates, right? I mean, companies get worth more or less or whatever. But um, I think when we started, I, I put in every dime I had up until the last cent and for many years on end. Uh, and even now, a large part of my wealth is in bank. Um, but that's not very important to me because what's important to me is to bring about this change that we feel is so very important for society at large. Um, and I think um, you know my origins are are quite humble, and um, I don't need a lot. I don't mind having a lot of money, but I don't need a lot. And whenever somebody uh, asks me about you know the financial position, you know how do you feel about investing 125 million in a in a, in a, in a company, and what if it fails, and what if this, and what if that? I always uh, recite this anecdote of me having a phone call with a friend of mine who had just sold his business. Uh, And I asked him, like, hey, you know, you're very wealthy now. And uh, what's next? And what do you do? And, you know, how's it going? And he said, well, you know, Ali, I think it's really important to keep in mind, no matter how much money you have, you can only eat one steak every evening. And that always stuck with me. You know, I have enough to eat that steak. Whatever else, or the vegan meal, by the way, because I'm recently <laughs> plant-based. But, uh, uh, um, you know, whatever comes on top of that is just play money. And for me, being able to make a difference for society for the better is a great uh, honor and an opportunity that I would like to uh, pursue.
0: But at the risk of uh, asking you the same questions other people have already asked you, you'd have to be... Like the coolest person in the world. I don't know. If, I don't know if you play poker and you just kind of have no emotions whatsoever when doing so, but in the sense that you know, it's it's a lot. Obviously, it's more than anyone could possibly need for their entire lifetime. A hundred million euros, but at the same time, surely you 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 would feel a little, uh, I don't know, upset or uh, disappointed that you know if if everything went into Bunk and Bunk uh, didn't succeed that, you know, your children and their children would would also, you know, be unable to take advantage and you wouldn't be able to uh, contribute to philanthropic causes or other things that are your passions?
1: Well, I think if it were to fail, which I don't think it will, because we have done such an amazing job at Bunk. We're light years ahead of anyone else, more so than you can see from the outside, by the way, but it will play out in the next several years. But if it were to fail, then... In my book, pursuing something you feel is important is a win by definition. So in my book, it still wouldn't be a failure. And, you know, if I would go bust and I would be bankrupt, uh, I'd still have a place to sleep. Because way before I started uh, doing all these things, I had a deal with my mom that she would keep a bedroom spare for me so that I had always roof over my head no matter what happened and as the years progressed uh one of my friends Raymond who I hold very dearly built a new house and I made the same deal with him because every, you know I've had this question before and people are like you what what are you going to do if things fail well up until about four years ago it was be I'm going back to my mom and now it's going to be I'm going to have a place at Raymond's um and to me, and I, I know it sounds funny, but that is the way I perceive it. I don't care much about the numbers.
0: That's uh, that's an amazing, amazing outlook. I guess by financing Bunk, you also don't have to, uh, or up until now, up until recently, financing it yourself. You don't have to answer to investors who, uh, you know, maybe do care more about the numbers than, uh, than, than you do, even though I'm sure the numbers are, are going, you know, uh, exactly where you want them to go but um, exactly
1: and it allowed us to do something that's very important which is create our own strategy that is completely focused on our users and create a product that they really love to use instead of fiddling and fidging with it and just trying to um, you know uh, play the valuation game nothing wrong with that but it's just not our game
0: and Obviously it's a lot of money, so I guess the the logical follow-up question is is as to where it actually came from because I think you you had some uh, successful previous businesses which uh, I'm not sure if you if you sold all of them, but perhaps you can tell us about uh, uh, how you managed to uh, you know become so well yeah. to do and, and be able yeah. to invest such funds into bunk
1: Yeah so um, I started my first company at the age of 16 and my first successful one at the age of 21. Um, That company was called TransIP, or is called TransIP, and it is today uh, today world's third largest domain name and web hosting provider. And that company is uh, profitable, it's healthy, it's profitable, and I've always used those profits to uh, fund my new adventures and endeavors. Uh, And over the years... um, all of those profits basically have gone into bunk. Um, during TransIP, I also co-founded uh, a data center business, which was at some point in time the largest privately owned data center business in the Netherlands. I did that together with Ray, amongst others. Uh, the person now supplying me with a roof on my head if everything goes wrong. Um, I exited that business last year not because I particularly wanted to, but because I needed the money for uh, for Bunk and for its growth. Uh, so coming back to your earlier question, yes, uh, large parts of my wealth are within Bunk. Within so, you know, you know how to say don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, that really doesn't ring a bell with me. That doesn't
0: resonate with me. But as you say, you, you set your, up your first business when you were just uh, 16. What, what was that one about?
1: Um, So that is now 23 years ago, Uh, I'm, you know, astonished to admit. Um, So way back then, um, if you wanted a computer, uh, it was just the early days of uh, of, of, of PCs. They had been established, but uh, they would still be uh, assembled one by one, depending on the specs that a customer wanted. Um, and so that's what I set up. I assembled bits and pieces of, computer, of PC parts into a PC. Um, and because I was still in high school, my only sales channel was online. So often I think back and I wonder if I had been more ambitious, whether I could have become Michael Dell, because he kind of started at the same time. I, he just had a more successful approach
0: and the business was a success you made money out of it or
1: yeah definitely but nowhere near michael dell territory but you know made a couple of thousand which is a lot of money when you're 60
0: Right, I can imagine. Well, look, Ali, going to come back to your story in just a moment, because I just need to remind our listeners that this podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Program for 2021. And in this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and to continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry. And you can find out more at www.parisfintechforum.com. Dot com. So, uh, Ali, when you were 16, this was in Canada, or this was in the Netherlands? This was in confused, the Netherlands, to... in, okay.
1: the, in the city of uh, Gouda, or Gouda, as it's internationally known, uh, known for its city hall, the its cheese? cheeses, its candles, and, of course, computers. <laughs> no, just kidding. But anyway, I think one of the inter- looking back, one of the interesting things is that at a very young age, um, I already came into contact with customers. Uh, which allowed me to learn to understand what people actually really want because I needed to translate their wishes and needs into a
0: PC that would do that.
1: And I think that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: But what do you think it was that made you Would you think uh, go into a business or set up a business at the age of, of 16? I think your, your family, your, your parents were from Iran, is that right? That's correct. I mean, yeah. is, were they particularly entrepreneurial? Was there something in the family that uh, kind of, you know, was in the blood that, that prompted you to go down that route?
1: Um, I think, you know, my parents uh, were both uh, not entrepreneurial, but some of my, uh, my grandparents were. Um, but I think more importantly, I've always just been really curious to how things work and why they work the way they do. And I typically have this view on how things could work, how things could be better. Um, And I've just always had this urge to create new things. Um, And for me, um, this has been either companies or software uh, or buildings, in in the case of the data center group, or a book. I wrote a book some years ago of which I'm particularly proud, by the way. Um, I think it's the creation part of it that really resonates with me. And, um, you know, looking at the world, seeing how beautiful it is, and then understanding what a possible next step could be to make it even better. I think that's that's nice.
0: And being the child of immigrants, I mean, it's often, uh, you know, there are plenty of other success stories where uh, the children of immigrants have gone on to, you know, found... Uh, you know, incredibly successful businesses. Uh, do, do you think that maybe fitting, like being an outsider, let's say, or, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, having that background uh, made it uh, an easier route to go down or just a way for you to kind of elevate yourself uh, or, or show others that what you were capable of?
1: Um, I, I don't know because there's, I can't A-B test my life. So I don't know what I would be like uh, in a different world, I do know that, uh, or so I've been told. That already at the age of two, I was disassembling phones and rewiring them, and you know, make the ringer ring all the time and stuff like that. So, I think this curiosity has always been with me. Um, I do think that being around the world, because I was born in Canada, so I lived in Canada, in Iran, and in in the Netherlands, and currently I'm in the U.S. Um, I think being around the world has opened up my eyes uh, and opened up my perception to see you know, that things can be done in different ways and that there is more than one road that leads to Rome. Um, so I think a lot of people perhaps have this sense of uh, of of you know how things could be better or be improved or you know what would suit them better. But because maybe, and this is just me guessing, maybe because they have been brought up in a singular way. In So for example, in the Netherlands, it's quite common for people to be born somewhere, go to school in that place, grow up in that place, go to university in or near that place, and maybe get a job there. Um, I think then with such a background, you're more inclined to stick with the you know, whatever the common sense is of that particular place. Whereas in my case, all the decisions I've made in my life have always been a conscious one. Um, I wouldn't want it any other way, but it does make life not self-explanatory, right? The the, the, uh, decisions aren't a given. For me, it wasn't a given that I would go to university after my high school. It wasn't a given that I would do computer science. It wasn't a given that I would start a business. It wasn't a given that I would, you know, go to Delft or go to Amsterdam or go wherever I went. All these choices have been co- conscious ones, uh, weighing, uh, weighing in and understanding all the pros and cons of each and every decision. Um, I
0: yeah. guess it also wasn't a given that, that you would succeed, but, but you, were, you were always confident that you would?
1: Well, for me, doing the thing that you love and doing it for the right reasons is already success. The rest of it is only, you know, it's only if, uh, uh, okay, it depends on what you define by success, I guess. So for me, doing what you love and making a difference for the better is already successful. Now, whether that's accepted and consumed by others as such, that's not up to me to decide. That's up to the others. But I think if you've created a fabulous painting or you have built an amazing bridge or you have created a piece of software, then, you know, the monetary value of it might fluctuate. But the fact that you contributed something is a given.
0: And, uh, you know, you've you've talked about... um the sustainable finance part of things in terms of uh, your customers being, you know, caring more about the planet and wanting to reduce their emissions and stuff. I'm just wondering, was, was doing good for the planet also a part of your plan when you went into business? Was this always something you wanted to do to not just have an impact on, you know, people's finances or to have a healthy, you know, financial system, but also to actually do good at the same time?
1: Well, not at first. I mean, my very first business at the age of 16 was very much like, hey, I think I can do it. Let's do it and let's see what happens. So, you know, to be able to actually sell a computer for a couple of thousand guilders at the time uh, as a 16-year-old, I mean, try selling something. It's quite hard. Even today, selling a thing for money requires a lot of effort. So for me to be able to do that, that was already Success and then being able to do all the admin, delivering it, doing the warranty, making people happy, etc. Then when I started Trends IP, um, the challenge there was a technological one. um, And I was convinced that we could do better than the other players because I saw so many gaps in in the products that were being offered back then uh, that I would just... 100% 100% convinced that we could do better, and for us to be able to do better and get the recognition of so many, that was uh, that was that was success for me back then. Then with the data center, being that's the first time where uh, sustainability really arose because now I knew for myself I could build companies, I could make them successful. Now I wanted to do even more because. You know, I think it's also good to take into consideration that a successful company does a lot of good by itself. It enables its customers to do things that they otherwise couldn't. Um, I mean, the spin offs of TransIP in the Netherlands and in the Benelux uh, have been so vast and big. I mean, we, we support online shops, we support small entrepreneurs, small businesses, we support uh, hospitals we support so many businesses that rely on us to be able to do what they do so that's contributing something and then on top of that all those people that work at TransIP and are able to you know, basically feed their children, that's a positive contribution, so in a certain way creating something is always a contribution and then on top of that, once I did that with the data center group Uh, sustainability started to peak uh, around the corner for the first time. And we created our own cooling system and we made some radical decisions in the way the electric system was, uh, uh, was being laid out, which resulted in a significant more efficient data center. So at the time if a computer server would use 100 watts of energy, another 100 watts would be wasted in, you know, making sure the server would remain at the right temperature and lighting, you know, uh, uninterrupted power supplies, etc. So to us, you know, this 50-50 was enormous waste and we started figuring out how we could do much better and it resulted in, at the time, a significant mind-boggling efficiency of, you know, you had 100 versus 100 for the old guys and then we did 100 versus 15. So, we reduced power waste by a whopping 80 to 90 percent. And this was so amazing that we got recognition from it at the time from the European uh, Commission, I think, through uh, Miss Naley Cruz. And then, It resulted in the city of Amsterdam using our standards as the standard for all data centers. So there, too, you could see the spin-off of our work. And I was very, and I am very proud of that.
0: And when you see, uh, you know, sustainable finance is a kind of very big uh, trend at the moment uh, in the world of fintech, especially. Uh, Do you get a sense when you look at other founders and other fintechs that perhaps, This is something that's only being done because it's capturing the attention and the imagination of of investors and helping propel their valuations ever higher? Or do you get a sense that they genuinely do care?
1: I don't think there's a single answer to that. I cannot read minds and I don't know everyone in the business. So I'm pretty sure that that either or question is a yes, yes answer. I think both exist in the spectrum knowing some of the players i know some of them genuinely care knowing some of the other players i know they should listen to my friends advice of the one stake per evening thing a bit more carefully
0: Uh, Um, and yeah right well from from stakes to 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 bitcoin i just wanted to ask you because obviously there's been a lot of a uh, lot written and said about how um, unsustainable it is in terms of uh, energy uh, consumption, in terms of emissions, and everything else. Do you think Bitcoin can go green? Um, well, it's difficult for me to
1: answer because I know uh, parts of the technology at high level, but I don't know it in such detail to be able to answer it precisely. However, I think. One of the nice things about Bitcoin is not Bitcoin itself, in my personal opinion, but the blockchain. I think a lot of people don't really understand what the intricacies of Bitcoin are and what the risks are uh, that are involved with Bitcoin. And slowly over time, I'm happy that this attention of the new gold rush of trying to make money with Bitcoin, because I think that's 80% of the, of the enthusiasm around it. Which is a shame because the founding principles were much more interesting in my mind. But anyway, that's maybe a separate discussion. But with this attention, I'm very happy to see that people at large are now starting to question some of the results of using Bitcoin, such as a hugely inefficient power draw, which is inherent to blockchain technology. Uh, Now, you can obviously say, okay, but we're going to use green power and uh, that's going to be zero emissions. But then you have to wonder, what is it that we're gaining, that we need to create this entire infrastructure that could also power other useful things, now powering only this virtual currency? I don't have an answer to that. I think we should have a democratic debate about it, where people are informed properly. And then as a society, we should make a
0: decision. And uh just bringing things back to uh, bunk as we uh, uh head towards the finish line here you you've just had this massive uh, fundraising earlier in uh, 2021 in July is this the? This is mainly for acquisitions. Uh, when should you know? New, normally, when a company gets to this kind of valuations, uh, valuation, people start talking about IPOs and all the other kind of stuff. I assume you're not under any pressure to do so, seeing as I, uh, I would imagine that you own a big chunk of the <laughs> equity and the decision making uh, uh, votes. So, uh, what, what's coming next? What's uh, this money for, and, and, and what comes after?
1: So being as I've had different businesses and I've gone through the different phases over the years, I think um, one of the really important things at Bunk was that we were in the luxurious position to have this laser focus on our users' wants and needs so we could create a product they really love to use and that makes their life easy. And we noticed about, I guess, a year or so, maybe slightly longer ago, that we really seem to strike a chord with with a large part of our users. So, AKA, we found product market fit. And in my mind, when a company finds product market fit, it's time to scale up. Um, And when it's time to scale up, the priorities in a company change. So the main priority first was put in all energy and effort on product to make sure we create a product that is lovely to use. Now it is. Now that we have that product that is lovely to use, let's make sure we can reach as many people as we can, aka let's start scaling. To be able to sc- scale effectively, you need a lot of money, more than I can come up with, even if I don't eat my steak every night. So it was important to find a partner to start rolling this out. Now here too, being through the loops before, for me it was very important to find the right partner and not just a big bag of money. So we ended up with a partner that shared the same values as us, um, who shared the same longer view, the same customer centricity, the same passion for sustainability. And additionally, they had a company in their portfolio that was of strategic benefit to us, capital flow. So in one move, we kind of hit two targets at the same time, and I'm very pleased uh with with this deal that still is under regulatory review by the way so the regulator still needs to give its blessing
0: but fair to assume that there'll be more acquisitions along the way uh, as you expand um, and that perhaps eventually an ipo will be an option i
1: think one of the cool things about bunk has been we have always been able to keep things to ourselves until the time (laughs) was right you can tell uh, and, me Ali, come on yeah. <laughs> I will tell you and I'd be very happy to tell you once the time is right
0: Okay, well in that case uh, that just leaves me with my final question that I put to all guests on the FNTech podcast and that is this What is the weirdest or craziest thing you've ever built or done in your life?
1: Uh, <laughs> that is a good question I've done so many crazy things um, I guess just to name a few So, making our users happy has always been of paramount uh, importance to me, and um, but also innovating has been of paramount importance. And sometimes the two clash. So many many years ago, I ended up soldering stuff in our computer servers just to make sure that they had the right uh, power to do. What they were supposed to do and uh, I think there are some pictures of it and it's in it's in the middle of the night it's quite dangerous that's why I wanted to do it myself I didn't want anybody else getting hurt um, <laughs> I, I was soldering something while the device was still on. so I think that would that would probably
0: <laughs> uh, qualify uh, as a stupid qualifies. Rather than crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it's only stupid if it fails
0: <laughs> right well, we're glad that uh, that uh, didn't, uh, you know, uh, leave you burnt out or, uh, or with any other problems and that you're here today to, uh, to found and uh, run Bunk and to talk to us all about it. So uh, Ali Nicknam, founder and CEO of Bunk, we thank you so much for joining me on the Fintech podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Elliot. It's been great.
0: It's easy to be cynical about entrepreneurs and their motivations, but speaking to Ali, you really get a sense that he means every word. He really wants to build a different bank and help customers save the planet by planting trees. And he really doesn't care about the 100 million euros he's ploughed into bunk because by pursuing his passion, he'll succeed even if the Neo Bank fails. Of course, with a valuation approaching $2 billion, this thought experiment may already be academic, despite the incredibly high stakes. So thank you, Ali Nicknam, and thank you for listening to the Fintech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter, at Paris Fin Forum, or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next week with more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.